This is politics part eight, Afghanistan. What it was, what it wasn't, and why it should never have been. So in this episode, I want to talk about Afghanistan, what it was, what it wasn't, and why it should never have been. And for this episode, it occurs to me that it's going to be very difficult for me to leave you better than I found you, but I'm going to do my best, and I want to thank everyone who stayed with me over the last month or so while I got my mind right and took a break. And I really owe Mike at the Singularity Lab, the YouTube channel, for doing me the solid and sending me the audio of our two-hour interview so that I could take a break without completely abandoning you. So we talk about Afghanistan. I want to take you back. Clinton was the 42nd president from 1993 to 2001. And from 1997 to 2001, Bill Clinton appointed William Cohen as Secretary of Defense. And during his time as Secretary of Defense, he began a discussion about increasing military combat power by reducing the distance between the tooth and the tail of the military. Which is to say that his intent was to remove as much of the logistical and support military occupational specialties like the cooks and the mechanics and the technicians, so that the active duty military was comprised of as many fighters as possible, with the vision to contract for civilian support for all the rest of the logistics. And in 2001, when George W. Bush took over as the 43rd President of the United States, he appointed Donald Rumsfeld as Secretary of Defense, and he would hold that position from 2001 all the way through 2007. And Donald Rumsfeld was a champion of the idea of removing as much as possible between the tooth and the tail of the Army, too. And Donald Rumsfeld's best friend, his name is Dick Cheney, and he was the CEO of Halliburton. Now, Kellogg, Brown & Root is a defense contracting logistics firm that is a wholly owned subsidiary of Halliburton. And during the Clinton administration, William Cohen gutted the Army and all of the logistical military capability to shorten the distance between the teeth and the tail of the military. Now, if you fast forward to 2001 to 2009, the 43rd president of the United States during that time was George W. Bush. And his vice president during that eight-year period was, yep, you guessed it, Dick Cheney, the former CEO of Halliburton. And in 2001, a Saudi Arabian exile, the leader of a terrorist group called Al-Qaeda, named Osama bin Laden, was living in Pakistan, and his organization perpetrated a horrible terrorist act, targeting the Pentagon, both World Trade Centers, and the U.S. Capitol building. This coordinated attack involved simultaneous hijackings of four different airplanes. The hijackers took out three of their four targets on September 11th, 2001. September 11th, 2001 was a Tuesday, and I'd just begun law school. The first plane headed to the target was American Airlines Flight 11. It was flown into the North Tower of the World Trade Center complex in Lower Manhattan at 8.46 a.m. Eastern. 17 minutes later, at 9.03, the World Trade Center South Tower was hit by United Airlines Flight 175, and about two hours later, both buildings collapsed. The third flight was American Airlines Flight 77. It left Dulles and was hijacked over Ohio at 9.37 a.m. It crashed into the west side of the Pentagon, the headquarters of the American military. Now, the fourth flight was United Airlines Flight 93. It was flying towards Washington, D.C., but the American passengers aboard got word of the three other terrorist attacks and fought back against the hijackers. And the fourth flight crashed in a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania at 10.03 a.m. before it 
could reach its target. Now, the terror attacks that day caused 2,977 fatalities, over 25,000 injuries, and long-term health consequences for many more people. It caused about $10 billion of infrastructure and property damage, and it killed 340 firefighters and 72 law enforcement officers who rushed to the scene to render aid in the wake of the attack. On May 2nd, 2011, in Abbottabad, Pakistan, Osama bin Laden, the leader of Al-Qaeda who perpetrated the 9-11 attack, was raided by SEAL Team 6, and bin Laden was killed and his body was buried at sea. Now, a month after the attack on September 11, 2001, the United States invaded Afghanistan on the 7th of October, 2001, and began Operation Enduring Freedom, which would lead to a 20-year land war. And there was national outrage and international sympathy, so I think George Bush did what Dick Cheney had suggested, that is, show strength and invade Afghanistan. So we invaded Afghanistan under the pretext that Afghanistan should have extradited Osama bin Laden to the United States. The funny thing is, is that bin Laden wasn't in Afghanistan, and the Taliban could no more control 50 miles outside of Kabul than they could fly to the moon, because there weren't even roads or infrastructure to facilitate the administration of that extradition. And I know that because we spent 20 years building roads and infrastructure in Afghanistan, which, by the way, is illegal to spend military operational and maintenance funds to nation build. But we did it anyway. We definitely knew Osama bin Laden was in Pakistan. We definitely knew that we were building roads in Afghanistan, and that is a fact. So we invaded and we stayed there under the pretext that we were making the world safer by denying sanctuary to terrorists within the territory of Afghanistan, which is kind of a joke because the whole time we were in Afghanistan, we were getting shot at and rocketed, and Al- and Al-Qaeda attacked us on 9-11 from Pakistan, not from Afghanistan. But we didn't invade Pakistan, and we didn't invade Yemen, and we didn't invade Iran, which were real terrorist training grounds where terrorists have freedom of movement. And it wouldn't be until 2003 that we invaded Iraq under the false pretext that there were weapons of mass destruction. But there weren't. And what I see was that there was a lot of opportunity to make a lot of money if you were a defense contracting logistics organization being contracted to support a military whose internal logistical capacity had been gutted by the previous and current secretaries of defense, who was the best friend of the current vice president. And guess what happened? KBR, the wholly owned subsidiary of Halliburton, the the same corporation that Dick Cheney was the CEO for, got sole sourced without any competition, trillions of dollars in defense contracting logistics operations support to logistically support both Afghanistan and Iraq. It was a sole source with no competition. It was a sole source procurement straight to Dick Cheney's old company. And that is a fact. So when I think about Afghanistan, I I really think it was just a cash grab by the military industrial complex in view of national outrage, where the people are so angry they just wouldn't care that they were invading a country with their whole military that could barely fight back. Because that country wouldn't turn over a person who wasn't even living there, who wasn't even operating out of Afghanistan. And even if Osama bin Laden was in Afghanistan, the Taliban wouldn't have had the capacity to extradite him anyway. And that too is a fact. So if anybody ever tries to tell you that we were in Afghanistan to deny terrorists sanctuary and the ability to operate, you can tell them they're full of shit. And that, too, 
is a fact. There was no plan and there was no strategy. We just showed up there to depose the Taliban. We started shooting. And then when we didn't really have anything else to do, we started nation building. And then foreign fighters and angry Middle Easterners from all over the world had an axe to grind. They poured into Afghanistan and tried shooting rockets and planting bombs to kill Americans. And so our military became their target for 20 years. And so we were there fighting in Afghanistan, defending ourselves from the people who were righteously attacking us. Because we invaded a country that was innocent, that didn't do anything to hurt us, and couldn't do anything to help us, even if it wanted to. Which it didn't. Go check out Politics Part 7, Holy Wars, and you'll know why. That is a fact. And it was that combat that was distracting. It was that combat, the foreign fighters attacking our troops, that made it possible to fool the American people into thinking that our soldiers were actually fighting a war that needed to be fought. And the American military spent its time building roads and buildings and trying to install a federal government in our own image, train a worthless national army and a worthless police force made up of Afghan civilians who didn't really give a shit. They just like getting a paycheck from funds that came from our taxpayer dollars. And think about it, a Saudi Arabian exile is hiding within Pakistan. And Pakistan is an ally of ours. So a Saudi Arabian exile is hiding within the borders of one of our allies. And we didn't ask our ally to extradite Osama bin Laden. We asked Afghanistan, who didn't have him, who couldn't extradite him even if they wanted. Why didn't we ask our own ally to extradite Osama bin Laden? It's because Dick Cheney wanted to invade Afghanistan. And he invaded a country that couldn't even fight back with the full force of the American military so that his company could make a lot of money logistically supporting the United States effort to wage a war that should have never happened in the first place. So we invaded Afghanistan for 20 years. Even though we killed bin Laden in 2011, we hung out for 10 more years. And the reason we hung out was because it was just gonna be too painful to withdraw. The Taliban were gonna declare victory, the Afghan National Police Force, and the Afghan National Army would crumble instantly, and we knew it from the very beginning. And we had so much equipment and so many military assets over there, we were gonna have to abandon hundreds of billions of dollars in equipment and vehicles. And until President Biden, there just wasn't the political will to do it. It would be just easier to draw down and draw down and just keep wasting American blood and treasure. And think about it, this whole thing was such a shit show. It's so fail. It'd be like if the mayor of Oklahoma City went to Mexico and stole their tacos and retreats back to Oklahoma, eating a couple of tacos as he passes through Texas. So Mexico blames Texas because the mayor of Oklahoma City ate a taco there once as he was passing through. And then Mexico demands that Texas extradite the mayor of Oklahoma City from Oklahoma. And Texas tells Mexico to go to hell and Mexico invades. Texas. Imagine Mexico invading Texas. Texans would be like, what are you doing here? And then the Texans would be like, draw, motherfucker. And then we'd have a 20-year fight between the Mexicans and Texas, which the Texans would probably win a lot sooner than 20 years because everybody knows to don't mess with Texas. So it's kind of not the same because Texas would kick Mexico's ass. But if you agree Texas had a right to defend itself, then you have to agree that Afghanistan had a right to defend itself from us. And that is a fact. But then 10 years after invading Mexico sends in SEAL Team 6 and kills the mayor of Oklahoma. But then Mexico just decides to hang out in Texas for another 10 years. 
And 10 years later, Mexico leaves Texas and then leaves billions of dollars in equipment, struggles to get other people out of Texas, and then Texas declares victory. And that's where we are today. And I spent a lot of time in Khost, Afghanistan, which is central eastern Afghanistan, right on the Pakistan border. And there were two kinds of locals there. The first kind of local was the kind that had no idea what 9-11 was and had no idea who Bin Laden was and was asking us what their tribe ever did to us to cause us to invade. And there's really not a very good answer for that. And the other kind of local was kind of a little more savvy, a little more technologically fluent. And they knew who Bin Laden was and may have been aware of 9-11. And they said, hey, isn't Bin Laden a Saudi exile? And I think he's living in Pakistan, so why did you invade Afghanistan? Why didn't you invade Pakistan? And there's really no good answer for that either, except for the fact that Pakistan is kind of our ally and they are a nuclear power. And so I could just say, well, I guess we just invaded you guys because you can't fight back. Nice to meet you. Bottom line is Afghanistan really just didn't make any sense, and so I think it was a cash grab by the military-industrial complex fueled by national outrage, and lobbyists acted to make it palatable to go to war so that we could buy planes and tanks and bombs and guns to fight a war we didn't need. And if you don't know what the military-industrial complex, I'll tell you really quick. Eisenhower was a two-term president. He was also the commander of all Allied forces in World War II. And when he left office of the president, right before JFK took office, he cautioned us. He said that since World War II, a military-industrial complex, an industry that builds nothing but attack planes and bombs and tanks and military equipment exists. And it was necessary to fight World War II, but it exists now. And it wields considerable political power because there's a lot of money tied up in it and it employs a lot of people. People. And both of those attributes make it very influential over our lawmakers. And he also cautioned that because the military-industrial complex funds a lot of institutional and university research, he also cautioned that the military-industrial complex could influence education and thought leadership at the university level. And essentially Eisenhower cautioned that the military-industrial complex was powerful enough to send the United States to war just to make sure that business stayed good. If you haven't heard Critical Thinking Part 8 and 9, Crime of the Century, you might want to check that out because Big Pharma and its stranglehold on medical research money and hospital funding gives it the same leverage that the military-industrial complex would have. And Big Pharma could use it to control drugs that are prescribed and the healthcare that is administered in our for-profit healthcare system in the United States. And our regime change approach in Afghanistan was just as fail as it was in Vietnam from the very beginning. 80% of Afghan civilians are illiterate. We tried to give them a court system with laws and the constitution and everything, and we printed a whole bunch of books with the laws and the constitution in them. And people had no idea what their rights were because they couldn't read them. Which means 80% of the people really didn't have any rights. And the district boundaries and the provincial boundaries within Afghanistan were drawn by white people with no understanding of the tribes and the tribal dynamics. And so the whole effort was doomed from the very beginning because within a district or province, whoever we installed in power was in a particular tribe, and the people people in that leader's tribe got justice and everybody else got the crumbs. So we built a system that was corrupt from the get-go and it was never going to make the Afghan people happy. And that corruption went all the way to the top and it was just a complete mess. It was never going to work and there was never a strategy. We never really had a good reason to be there in the first place. And one thing I want to mention, that 
one of the dirtiest things I see that kind of goes back to our legislative corruption is whenever I see a politician say they support the troops, what they're really saying nine times out of ten is that they fund these billion dollar military industrial complex projects. When it comes to veteran health care or veteran housing or veterans benefits or soldier pay, there's not a lot that gets done. And the truth is, is that the troops aren't the one who's actually getting support. The support for the most part goes to the corporations to build bombs and guns and bullets and tanks and planes, many of which don't fly, like the F-23 and the F-35. You know, one time in 2008, the army actually said, hey, we don't need any more funds for Humvees because we can't even maintain the ones we already have, and the new Humvees just get parked and abandoned lots, and we can't even maintain them. And then you know what Congress did? Congress appropriated $800 million specifically that was required to be spent on Humvees. But it wasn't because the army needed them, it was because that AMG had facilities and employed people in all 50 states, and the parts for our Humvees were manufactured in all 50 states. Which is precisely what General and former President Eisenhower warned us about. It's what he told us the military-industrial complex would do. And that is a fact. And if you look at the cover art of this podcast episode, you see hundreds of MRAPs, mine and ambush-protected vehicles. And the gross thing is, is that those MRAPs cost a million dollars each. And the trouble is, is if they get hit by an explosively formed projectile, the glass can vaporize and cause cancer if you breathe it in. It's so big that its rollover potential is really high, especially with the condition of the roads and trails in Afghanistan. And the antennas are so high that they touch power lines and have been known to pull electricity down from those power lines and electrocute the soldiers inside. And if one of them rolls over into a stream, it's going to drown everybody inside. And you know what? They're only 30% more resistant to mines. They're only 30% better chance of survival if you get hit by a mine. And the best way to survive a mine or ambush is not to be mined or ambush in the first place. And the way we do that is by winning the counterinsurgency fight. Because if the people who own that land and live there, if they love you, then they won't tell the enemy where you're operating and where you travel. They'll tell you where the enemy is going and where they are and what they're doing. And they will call you when foreign fighters are in their tribal areas digging in improvised explosive devices. Then all you need to do is vector a predator over there and light them up while they're digging. So a little leadership goes a long way, and all that equipment, hundreds of millions of dollars in vehicles, all turned over to the Afghans are now in the hands of the enemy. I mean, it's disgusting because we spent so much money, but tactically, it's not that big of a deal because they're not going to mine themselves, which means they're never going to need to use them. They're not going to be able to ship them anywhere. They're way too heavy. They're not even going to be able to fuel them. They're all going to break down because they require tons of maintenance, and none of them are going to know how to maintain them. So it's really just a giant waste of taxpayer dollars to buy those MRAPs for the Afghan people. And that's one of the things that really pisses me off. Because those should have never been bought for the Afghans in the first place. That's the dumbest thing I think I've ever seen. Except for maybe printing laws and a constitution in books when 80% of the population is illiterate. That might be dumber. Maybe. I'm pretty sure. That's almost as dumb as the time Putin told Trump to pull us out of Syria and then Trump pulled us out of Syria with a tweet in 2018. We betrayed our battle brothers, the Kurds, and that was the day many of my military buddies told me that they were ashamed to wear the uniform. And then ISIS actually captured billions of dollars in weapons and vehicles and equipment. And then when Trump sent us back in in 2019, we fought ISIS, who was maneuvering against us, using our own vehicles, and shooting our own weapons and bullets. 
back at us. And the only reason I say that is because I want everybody who hears this, everyone in the Sonic tribe, I just want you to know that there's plenty of stupid on both sides of the American political spectrum, and that is a fact. And another real trouble in the aftermath of military operations like this, like in Vietnam and Afghanistan and Iraq, and I think we're starting to deal with it now, is that when we pull out and we have to face the fact that it was an absolutely worthless, stupid mission that made no difference whatsoever, is that the men and women who make up our military force, who just take the orders, and when they're down there, they execute like good soldiers, when they get home and they look back, and then they go, why did my friends have to die over there? What possible good did we do over there? And what was the point? Just it. There wasn't a point. We should have never been there. We didn't have a strategy. And it didn't make sense to go in. And that is a fact. And even though our troops fight valiantly, win every battle, and accomplish every mission, in the end, it's for nothing. Because no matter how brilliant, no matter how brilliant and successful your tactics are, no matter how many battles you win, if the war is unwinnable, the war is unwinnable. And the war was unwinnable. Just like it was in Vietnam, so too was it in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I don't think it's a disgrace to our soldiers and our service members to admit that. I think we have to admit it. We owe it to the people that we lost to have integrity and take responsibility for the fact that we fought and died and killed in an unjust war. And after spending thousands of lives, trillions of dollars, and 20 years, we've done absolutely nothing. That is a fact. And the only thing that's left, the only thing that the American people can do to honor the sacrifices of my pals, to honor my service and the service of those of us who came back, is to promise that they won't let the politicians that they elect send our children to the same kinds of unwinnable wars that they sent us to go fight. But at the end of the day, it's really the physics of leadership that teaches us how to get the things that we want. Because in March 2011, Mohamed Bouzazi was a poor street vendor in Tunisia who was so disaffected with the government, he was disrespected by officials and he just couldn't take it anymore. So he set himself on fire in protest. And that one act launched popular revolution in 11 countries, in Tunisia, Libya, Egypt, even Syria. The Syrian rebellion is a consequence that persists today of Muhammad Bouzazi's actions in March of 2011. So with no money, one day, one casualty, no boots on the ground, no leadership experience whatsoever, Muhammad Bouzazi launched popular revolution in 11 countries. And by contrast, the United States of America, the million or more boots on the ground, trillions of dollars, the most advanced military technology in the world, and 3,000 deaths and tens of thousands of casualties, presence in two countries, and billions and any political change stick at all. So it's really about the physics of leadership. It's about whether people see their own success in the future and whether our actions make them feel better about themselves. That is the only thing. That's the only criteria that will make us effective as leaders. And remember Lebanon, a hotbed of terrorism and anti-American sentiment in the 80s. We pacified Lebanon with blue jeans, rap music, technology, porn, and now there is a disco on every corner in the last generation 
generation wants absolutely nothing to do with any kind of jihad or fundamentalist fanaticism, and we didn't need to fire a shot. And I know this episode is kind of a downer, it's because Afghanistan is just kind of a shit show all the way around, and that is a fact. But I want you to know that everybody in the military, all of our soldiers fought like hell. They fought for you, and they fought for America, and they fought for each other. They won their battles and accomplished all their missions, but brilliant tactics can't rescue a failed strategy, and that too is a fact. And it's on all of us as citizens to stay informed and make sure we take care of our troops by making sure their politicians aren't lying to us, that we see through the bullshit and see through the talking points and that we only go to war as a very, very last resort. And that is a fact. 